Let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, as we continue our journey through the gospel. Next week, we will spend time in Matthew, being a couple days before Christmas. Actually, this morning, we see the baby Jesus grown up in the middle of his ministry, and uh, we're seeing him being rejected more and more and more. I know that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've likely have known a person or two who have walked away from the faith. Okay? If you've been any Christian for any amount of time, you know somebody, you likely know someone who has walked away from the faith. The person may have seemed to be an enthusiastic follower up front, right? They received the gospel with joy, but then they did not endure, okay? They did not endure following after Christ, following the Lord. As far as you can tell, that person is an apostate, and that term simply means they abandon their profession of faith. They once say they believe, they say they trust, but after a while they abandon that profession, that's what it means to be an apostate. And the New Testament tells us there are some people who seem to be believers or followers of Christ, but who later prove not to be. And so, in fact, we see that here in the Gospel of John itself. For example, before we get to our own text, earlier on in this Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus makes comment about this. Listen to verses 22 through 25. Actually, I'll pick up in 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many what? Believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But contrary to their belief, their profession, Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. He knew something about them and about their, quote, belief, end of quote, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Again, in chapter 6, we read this. Is, something's wrong. Am I getting feedback here? Is it me or is it? Okay, okay. Sorry. Chapter 6. Let me read you this other example. Verse 66. And as a result of this, many of disciples withdrew and were not walking within him anymore. Are you getting the picture here? Just because John or any other New Testament author mentions that they believed doesn't necessarily translate into true saving faith. Mm. You see where we're going here. There's other examples outside the Gospel of John. And let me just give you a couple of them, okay? Just a couple of them. In Luke chapter 8, for example. Luke chapter 8. Listen to these words. Verse 6 and 13. Listen to this. The seed and the sower. Verse 6, it says, The seed, other seed fell in the rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Then verses later, in verse 13, Jesus gives, expounds on that rocky soil. Listen to what he says here. Those on the rocky soil are those who, here it is, when they hear, receive the word with joy. There was enthusiasm. This could be the person who might have walked the aisle. They make a profession of faith. But listen to this. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation, what? Fall away. It's temporary. 
So he mentions it there in Luke chapter 8. What about Hebrews chapter 6? Let me read this to you. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Let us move forward. You profess to be a Christian. Now let's move forward and strive to be like Christ. Let's, let's strive to, to be mature in Christ, to grow and to be conformed to his image. That's each one of our goals sitting here this morning, at least I hope so. It is if you truly believe. Your goal will be to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he goes on to say, verse 2, of instruction about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, of eternal punishment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, in what way have they tasted and been partakers? They're in the body of Christ. They're rubbing shoulders with other Christians. Today it would be this. They go to church on Sundays, or at least sometimes on some Sundays, and they are participating in worship. Or, or they're rubbing shoulders with other Christians who are exercising their spiritual gifts, who are bearing fruit. And so they partake of the blessings of being part of the body of Christ. But then verse 5, and they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, that is through the church, and then having fallen away, there it is. They've walked away from their profession. Having been part of a church, a local church, having rubbed shoulders with other Christians, and in that, in that context, they have professed, they have said, I believe, I believe in Jesus. But yet they what? Fall away. That faith was merely what? Temporary. Just like in Luke 8 in the parable, the seed and the sower, they, that, that second seed, what happened? They received it with joy, with enthusiasm, but after a while, they walked away. And then we have 1 John. 1 John, this is such a problem. This is such an issue in the early church and in the 21st century that God had John write a whole letter about this one issue, about having a temporal, counterfeit, false faith. Listen to these words out of 1 John chapter 2. I'm just building the case for our main text this morning. That's what I'm doing right now, just building the case for you. I want to show you this is all throughout Scripture, not just the Gospels, but by, by, but by John writes it in 1 John. Paul mentions it. Peter mentions it. They all mention this in one way, shape, or form. Listen to these words. The one who says, quote, I have come to know him, end of quote. The one who says, I believe, it's another way of saying and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Well, what, what, what do you mean he's a liar? He's lying when he says, I have come to know him. He's lying when he says, I believe. Wow. I mean, that's just, what a warning. What a shot across the bow of our chip this morning. He says, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And I love the word in verse 5, keeps his word. The idea there is one of perseverance. Keeps on keeping his word. He never gives up. You've heard of Jim Valvano, haven't you? Coach for North Carolina State basketball team. 
back in the 70s. He had cancer. He actually died of cancer. But in the ESPY Awards, he got up and he talked about never, ever, ever giving up. And he was talking about the fight against cancer. This is the idea, the concept of perseverance. You never give up. You keep on going. Right? Don't ever, ever, ever give up. You persevere in Christ. No matter what's happening to you, no matter what's happening around you, you persevere. You keep coming back to Christ. You keep, how do you do that? What does that look like? You keep coming back to his word. You keep on keeping it. So passages of scripture over and over and over again demonstrate that, that there is this kind of faith. There's this profession. There is this discipleship that is merely temporary and not true saving faith, not true saving belief, not true discipleship. Now, let me add one more thing to paint this picture. I'm sorry about the distraction. Okay? I'm going to be up front. Okay. Well, let's keep focused. Okay? We're talking about this happening in a much bigger picture. Let me paint that picture for us. In the context of a weak church, in a weak denomination, or a weak evangelicalism, we're talking about this spurious, false faith in a much bigger picture. In a, in, a, in a church that is hurting and suffering, where the gospel's not being preached. And so we're talking about the existence of this spurious faith and a bigger picture of a hurting church. So it makes it much more difficult to discern who these people are and who they are who they are not. Right? You understand where I'm coming from. Let me say it another way. People who go to church on an Easter or Christmas and no other time. Oh, what about churches who design Sunday morning and make it an event instead of a people who are hungering and thirsting for the word of God and his righteousness? And so people go to an event and they leave feeling good about the event because the event is designed to make them feel good about themselves. But a sermon like this, based upon the word of God, is not going to make you feel so good this morning. It's going to force you to examine yourself and say, wait a minute, what kind of faith do I have? This is the preaching of word, God's word is supposed to do. So having that said that, let's stand together and read our passage this morning. Okay? Let's do that. John chapter 8. Let's go ahead and read the whole passage. And I'm going to survey through this. That's what it's going to be. i got to go fast. Really? Okay? Let's do that. Chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, 
Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Well, they said, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Wow. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Oh, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Father in heaven, Lord God, here we have the folks in verse 30 who John says, many came to believe. But by verse 59, they were picking up the stones to kill him. God, give us discernment. We long, beg, plead, need the gift of true saving faith, which only comes from the Holy Spirit being born again. We confess that. We admit that. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot even believe in and of ourselves. We must have your work in our hearts. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience. We rarely read that many scriptures, but it's good. It's a good thing. Well, as I just mentioned, by the time we get to the end of our passage in verse 59, what's happening? Those who believe, look at verse 30. 
And he spoke these things. Many came to believe in him. In verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had what? Believed him. Who's his audience? It's no longer the Jewish religious leaders. It's the Jews who what? In verse 30, John says, well, they believed. This is who Jesus is addressing in our passage this morning. And by the time we get to verse 59, what's going on here? They're picking up stones to kill him. So let's begin in verse 31. The context, as we just said, changes. He is now addressing and having dialogue with those Jews in verse 31 who had believed. And he begins with a statement. And here's the statement. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The idea here is of perseverance. True saving faith perseveres in the word of God. It's hungry for the word of God, and it will always have an appetite and always have a thirst for the word of God. It will never, ever go away. And that's what he's trying to tell them. Why? Because according to John chapter 2, an earlier audience with people who believed, he understood man's heart. He understands what spiritual warfare is all about. He understands the trickery of Satan. He can implant false belief into dead hearts, spiritually dead hearts. And so Jesus is, is exposing this. And what you have from verse 31 through 59 is building, and it's building. These, and I tried to read it this way. They are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. The more Jesus reveals about himself, those truths were beginning to expose their faith as being false. That's what's going on here. That is it in a nutshell. That kind of wraps up this whole passage. But don't worry, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so let's, let's walk through this a little bit. Verse 31, the context changes. He makes a statement in verse 31. He continues with it in verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He doesn't say, if you continue in my word, then you will get saved. Okay? This is, okay, he's not saying that. He's saying, if you continue in my word, that is the evidence that you are a genuine disciple of mine. Proofs in the pudding. And the pudding is perseverance. I hate saying it that way, but you get the picture. Okay? That's how you know. That's how you know. You don't know because you've had a great week. You don't know because things are going really well in your life. If that's the case, I'm going to be losing my salvation every day and try to gain it back. It's perseverance. It's, it's no matter what is happening to me, no matter what's happening around me, no matter what's happening in our culture and our society, I keep focused on Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. And how do I know I'm doing that? It's because he, I continue in his word which is what we have in our laps this morning. This is why it's our focus every time we come together as a body of believers. The Word of God is our focus, not the preacher, not, the, not you, not me. It is the Word of God. Why? Because embedded in the Word of God is Christ himself. If you want to keep your attention gazed at Christ, you want to keep your mind and your heart gazed on him, the purest way to do that is the Word of God. It will never, ever steer you wrong. And the result will be verse 32. And you will know the truth. You'll know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's going to say that. John will record that in 14.6 coming up. 
And who? The truth will make you free. Christ sets you free. Now, notice what happens next in verse 32, they, 33. Excuse me. They respond to that. This is all of a dialogue going back and forth. And it's not the easiest thing to do to preach dialogue. Okay? But look at verse 33. They answered him, but we are Abraham's descendants and have never been yet enslaved to anyone. So how can you say you will become free? Wait a minute. We are free. What do you mean become free? We're, we're already that way. I don't think they were thinking political freedom here. And here's why. The history of Israel, they've always been enslaved to somebody. Even here, they were under Roman oppression. I think they were offended because they kind of really knew what Jesus was saying is that they were in spiritual, spiritual bondage like the Gentiles. And they're going, we're not like them. We're of Abraham. We're free. We already got there. Free. We're descendants of Abraham. We are Abraham's offspring, descendants. And therefore, we're born free from sin. Ah. See, that's what they're thinking. I've gone to church all my life. I was raised in a Christian country. You see the parallel? Well, see, us Gentiles can have a parallel to what the Jews were experiencing here. Oh, let's not just think, oh, it's them. That's the way they are. No. No, we have it in our day and age, too. I was brought up this way, therefore I am a Christian. No. You must commit to following Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sins, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. You must identify yourself with Christ. That's why there's believer's baptism, because it's a public confession of faith. Walking down the aisle is not the public confession of faith. Baptized is water baptism, believer's baptism. That's the public profession of faith. Somewhere along the line, starting with Finney in the 1800s, walking down the aisle has superseded and overwhelmed baptism. I'm meddling, I know, a little bit. But it's the truth. A lot of people walk down the aisle, and they're the ones. Not everybody, okay? But they're the ones in danger of thinking that they're saved when they're not. They're oftentimes the one who walk away instead of being discipled. And you don't baptize them and then disciple them. The moment they make a profession of faith in Christ, you begin discipling them. And then use next many week, couple weeks or months, depending on where they're at, then you baptize them. Because that's what Matthew 28 is all about. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's a lifelong process. But, but we've, forgive me for the pun, we've watered down water baptism. It's commanded. We need to elevate it and put it, couch it in, 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 in the context of making disciples. And so when someone makes that profession of faith, we begin to mold it and to shape it. We continue revealing to them, and not revealing to them, but showing them the word of God. And that they, you need to make a public profession. You know, but to trust Christ means you're not going to be ashamed of him. And here's what God tells us to do as his children, to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And to do it for others to see. To show them that you are not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That you simply are not ashamed. So I am, I am, I am publicly going through this, this illustration of being 
under the water and being raised from the water because that's what Christ has done for me. And I am committing to him. And I'm also committing to this, a lifelong process of learning the scriptures, learning about him because I want to walk in the truths of his word because I know that in his word I find the will of God and this is what I want my life to be all about. There you go. But now in verses 33 and following, we see that we begin to see at least that their faith was not true, that it was spurious, false. And it began with a question in verse 33. They really didn't understand the depth of their sin. And therefore, they didn't really understand their need for Christ. And it's seen right here in verse 33 with their question, what do you mean we're already free? We're already free. And so Jesus begins to probe further into their so-called belief in verse 34 and following. And the issue he brings up is freedom and slavery. And I don't think the issue is political slavery, but it's spiritual slavery. And they just didn't get it. But they were enslaved to sin and the wickedness. Because even though they were descendants of Abraham, that did not free them from the SIN virus. You're not physically born out of it. You're reborn out of it. And that's where they were confused. They claimed the status of freemen. But Jesus tells them that they are slaves of sin. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And you know that they would admit to that. I mean, the opportunity earlier on in chapter 8 with the adulterous woman who's without sin cast the first stone. They all dropped them. They couldn't catch it because they all knew this. Wow. Paul, Paul says this. If you write down Romans chapter 2, because this really helps us understand what's going on here in our passage this morning, is Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And let me read these verses to you. I'd like you to write that little reference down into somewhere here in chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. Listen to these words. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Did you get that? That's what Jesus is saying here. Back in John chapter 8. Circumcision's not going to cut it. You're of Abraham. You've been circumcised. That's all physical. You need something greater than that. Right? You need your heart changed. Beloved, look at me, look at me. What does that tell us? How deep the problem of sin is. No wonder the scriptures call us, we're dead, meaning spiritually dead. A spiritual dead person can't pick up their own bootstraps and move forward in Christ. A spiritually dead person is spiritually dead. That, that means they're lethargy. There's just no heart. There's nothing there. They can't get up. And the Greek word dead is nekros, and it's also used to talk about physical death. He takes that word referring to physical death and applies it in Ephesians 2 to spiritual death. That's what he does there. Paul does in Ephesians 2. That's what Jesus is getting at here. You're born with a corrupted heart, with a sin nature, and a leopard cannot change its spots. Using the Old Testament 
example. But they thought they could. Then we go on. Verse 37, we're just going to kind of survey through this. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Jesus is he's saying, I, I recognize what you're saying here. I know that physically you're descendants of Abraham. So he's agreeing with them on that. You get that, verse 37? Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard of your father. Even though you are physical descendants of Abraham and you call him your father, you still have another father, so to speak. You have a spiritual father, and he's going to say in verse 44, who is he? The devil. Wow. Verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, wait a minute. If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of the Abraham. Right here, he brings in the concept like father, like son. That's what he's doing here. He's bringing in the concept into this dialogue, the concept of like father, like son. Well, if you're really like Abraham, you would act like Abraham. You would behave like Abraham. And he's saying, you're trying to, I know, and here's, here, here's the deity of Christ coming out in a little glimpse here. He knows where they're going. He knows verse 59 is coming up. <laughs> he knows what's on the heart without them, without coming out of their mouths. He knows they're wanting to kill him, so he says what's already in their heart. He knows their motive. He knows what they want to do. So right here, the deity of Christ is kind of getting a glimpse of it coming out. He says, I know you're seeking to kill me, and that's not Abraham. That's not reflective of Abraham, so don't tell me he's your spiritual father. You might be a descendant of him physically, but he is not your spiritual father because you're not doing his deeds. What did Abraham do? He believed God, and the demonstration of his belief was obeying God. Occasion after occasion after occasion, he trusted God. Did Abraham fail? Oh, yes, he did. But what did he do? He always ran back to God. You see, he persevered, folks. He persevered. So that's, what, that's what true faith does. It does. When, when you're caught in sin, true saving faith run away from God. It runs to God. You don't like it. You're miserable over your sin, right? You're ashamed of it, right, right? But you don't run away from God. You run to God because you run to Christ. You persevere. You see, the Christian walk is not based on how I feel or the mood I'm in. It's not based upon a good week, bad week approach to God. If you have that kind of approach to God, you don't understand grace. You approach God regardless of how your week is, good or bad. You live always at the foot of the cross. And if you had a good week, that's nothing but the grace of God in your life. And if you had a bad week, it's still by the grace of God. Right? So like father, like son, that was Abraham. A beautiful Old Testament example of true saving faith, which, by the way, Hebrews chapter 11 records for us. One of many of the Old Testament saints who understand 
the promises of God, the grace of God. Now, in verses 41 through 47, these folks, these, these men give a comeback. They give a comeback. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father God. This is a slam. I read commentary after commentary, and they're all saying, most likely, this is a reference to Christ's birth. They knew that Joseph wasn't his real father. So he was a result of an incestuous kind of a relationship with Mary. And so they're slammed. This is not a pretty scene going on here. I could not read this going, oh, na 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 Everything is having a nice little dialogue. No. There's yelling going on here. They are angry. They're accusing him. Here's what's happening. Christ is destroying their pride. Pride in their own religion, their own effort, and their own works. And they are now becoming defensive. And it happened when my pride creeps up. I get what? Defensive. We're no different. The same thing's happening here. And so what happens when you get defensive? You want to tear down the other person. Jesus is tearing down their religion. He's not tearing down the law. He's not even tearing down the ceremonies. He's not tearing down circumcision. He's not tearing down the Old Testament. He's tearing down their use of the Old Testament. Big difference, isn't there? They were misusing the law, misusing the Old Testament, misusing the Old Testament prophets, misusing the ceremony, miss, 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 they were missing the mark. The law had become their God. Actually, they had become their own God because they thought they could keep the law. And here comes Christ. And he's just tearing it down, tearing their thinking down, tearing their approach to God down because it's wrong. Because here's what he's doing. He's tearing down man's system because he's saying, here I am. That's why there's repentance and faith. You got that? Okay, let's keep going. Thank you for your patience. Let's keep going. Verse 48 again. I want to see how this show you how it's going on here. The Jews answered, said to him, do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, they're just up in the ante here, aren't they? I mean, that's verse 48. In verse 41, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Well, they're comparing themselves to him, or at least what they thought of him. Verse 48, they, they're up the ante. They're getting ugly here. I mean, they're getting ugly. What does it mean a Samaritan? What do they mean by that? It simply means that you're, you're unclean. The Samaritans were unclean people. You're dirty. You're unclean. And you also possess a demon. You're demon-possessed. You're a nut. You're crazy. You're a madman. That is exactly what's going on here. That's what they're accusing him of. My goodness. This exposes how deep their problem is. Man. Here's in essence what he's saying. You combine these things. They're accusing him of being mad, unclean, and evil. Beloved, there's hatred going on here. This is pure, unadulterated hatred for Christ at this moment. That's what it is. 
And no wonder, verse 44, you have your father, the devil. And you wanted to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and you're wanting to kill me. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Well, back up for a second. Beloved, Jim Pittman, by nature, reflects the nature of the devil himself. Wow. Isn't that something? But then Christ. But then Christ. Let me say it again. But then Christ. Only he can change my nature. Only he can change your nature. And that's why one of the major themes in John is being born again. A new creature in Christ. And the scriptures over and over and over and over again declare, you cannot do it. So what do we do? We cry out to God to do it. And he does. And he does. And all we do is turn to Christ. We trust in him and him alone. We go on to verse 49 through 15, excuse, through 50, 49 and 50. Basically what Jesus says here is that I'm here to honor my father. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me, which means then you dishonor God as well. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Verse 51, he says, let me get you back on track. Let me, verse 51, look at verse 51. It's, it's basically a statement, let's get back on track of where we started. Look at verse 31 and 32. Then you, If you continue in my word, verse 31, and verse 51, let's get back on track with this discussion again. He says, if anyone keeps my words, it's saying the same thing, but just a little bit subtly different, but the same thing, you will never see death again. What do you think Jesus is saying here? You'll never see physical death or spiritual death? Spiritual death. But what are they going to think? Physical death. So the verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. They're thinking physical. Jesus is talking spiritual. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Everybody dies. Who do you make yourself out to be? What are you talking about? And at this point, what does Jesus do? He asserts his deity. He asserts his deity. Verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. The God you're trying to identify with is the God who sent me. He's my father. So if you're going to slam me, you're slamming him. It's in essence what's going on. Verse 55, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that, you see, at this point, Jesus could have backed off, couldn't he? When you're sharing the gospel and people get antagonistic, there's a temptation to back off. But Jesus, being God, can only do one thing, and that is to tell the truth. And he never shied away or backed away from it. He was never ashamed of the truth. What an example for us today as our world becomes more and more antagonistic to the gospel. We're going to be called to be there as an oak tree near the stream and tell the truth the whole time and not waver. 
Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What in the world? What do you mean? You're only you know, 50 years old, and you're saying that you saw Abraham? What are you, you crazy? That's what they're thinking. That's what they, actually, verse 57, so that you said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. They understood very good and well where that came from. The great I am. He was equating himself with God at that very moment. Everything built to that point. And then verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him. Here's the point of all this, beloved. The belief in verses 30 and 31. The belief mentioned in verse 30 and 31 was only temporary. It was only temporary. Jesus taught the truth as he kept expounding and sharing truth. What did it do? It exposes either faith as being genuine or faith as being false. In this case, the truth was exposing her faith as being false. So here's what happens. When someone professes Christ as Savior, they keep hearing the word of God. This is why preaching the word of God is so important to have a consistent diet, accurately preaching and teaching God's word is so that yet faith is either going to be exposed as being false or it's going to be revealed as being true and being refined and producing perseverance. But when we live in a day, day and age where the truth is not upheld that much, it's going to be hard to discern what kind of faith a person has. So Jesus, as he was teaching, as he taught the truth exposed their faith as being temporary, as being false, spurious. It's a warning for Gentiles as well, for us in the 21st century who grew up in Christian homes with Christian parents, who, who are used to going to church different times during the year, who, who have a Christian experience but not Christ for salvation. Wow. See, that's the danger of producing an event on Sunday mornings instead of preaching the word. Sunday morning is not an event. It's the gathering of the body of Christ to raise the standard of God's word and to preach it and to proclaim it because when that happens, Christ is exalted, he's elevated, and true saving faith rejoices. It perseveres. And you come in on a bad week. You don't need to hear from me that everything's okay. Everything's hunky-dory. You're going to have a better week this week. I don't know. You could have a lousier week this week. I hope not, but it could be the case. What you need and I need to hear is Christ. That regardless of what kind of week you've had or what's coming up in the, the coming week, that we focus on Christ. He's our week. A true follower of Christ, in comparison to the false faith, true belief continues in God's word, regardless of where it finds itself, regardless of where it's at. No matter how much you're struggling, you persevere. You keep coming back and coming back and coming back. It doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. You know where to go. 
Because God has given you true saving faith. This is the point of the passage. True saving faith perseveres. It never, ever, ever gives up. It never quits. It never quits. It always remains in Christ. It always keeps in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, this is the mark. It's, it's like the hallmark of, of genuine, true faith is that your word, we remain in your word. Your word abides in us. We, 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 we persevere in Christ, and we know how to do that. We know where to go. So, Father, let me read this for my beloved brothers and sisters. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, God, may these words resonate true in our hearts today. May this attitude and longing for Christ be implanted into the deepest recesses of our souls and our minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.